um, hi, uh, Heidi McDonald. Uh, at New Jersey Comic Expo, uh, I am sitting here uh, at the Dynamite booth, but with Amy Chu. Amy Chu, uh, a trailblazing, groundbreaking. Uh, Amy, you well. Uh, anyway, you are working on so many. I'll leave that unsaid. You can put it put it together in your own mind. Amy, you're here at Dynamite because you're writing two disparate titles: Kiss and Red Sonia. Right? Yes, that's what, right. What do they have in common? Oh my gosh. Well, what, you know, I, that's a good question because I feel like everything that I write has something in common, but it's up to the folks in the the readers to figure out what that theme might be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that's, um, that sounds really cryptic. I know. Well, maybe they're both... Um, I don't know. They're both loud. I don't know. They're both oh. icons. They're both all well, yeah, icons. Oh, no, you're right. They're icons, but also on a higher level. There's, you know, they're, they're usually um, individuals in a society that maybe doesn't really understand them. Mm, that is true. That, that is true. Now, uh, we just did a short email interview with you about both these books oh, yeah, on, on yeah, the beat, uh, a beat at comicsbeat.com. Um, uh, but you were mentioning, like, so it's in this Red Sonia storyline, which isn't out yet, right? I get it's confused. It's coming out in December, December sixteenth. Okay. okay, so by right, so so yeah, you must look for this in in a couple of weeks after you hear this podcast. But um, uh, so I, and I'm a Red Sonia fan from way back. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, so, awesome. I yes. should have consulted you a lot. No, right? no, no. I don't remember any of it. But okay. uh, but I was a huge Red Sonia fan as a kid. And uh, but this is a story where Sonia comes to the modern day through sorcery, right? Of course, not through <laughs> physics, but through sorcery. Yes, yes, yes. And so we have the, the kind of classic fish out of water story where Sonia is in modern day New York, right? Yeah. So what? What was this a comedy story or a no, drama no, no. story? No, no, no. I would say it's just straight up action. I wouldn't call it drama or comedy. I think there'll be aspects of both, but this is straight up action, to, in my view. Um, you know, if you look at it from her eyes, it's really a science fiction story from her perspective. Right. She's going from the present to the future. Yes, that's right. Um, so, fish out of water, sure. She's in a new environment, but she's got to adapt. And how successful she's at adapting is, you know, what I'm focusing on. Right, right. Um, uh, there's a, I think there was one out there. This is, this is what happens we have live podcasting. We're also sitting right by the We're entrance. Right by the entrance, and so we, we get to see a lot of really interesting people and, come and in. We it's look, fascinating. And we look like we know what we're talking about, I guess. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so what would Sonia think if she came to a Comic-Con here in New Jersey? <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> um, you know, it's really tricky because I think I've read Sonia... Not like, Poison Ivy is a really super intelligent person. I don't want to say Red Sonia is not intelligent, but I think she is somebody who is more instinctive. Mm -hmm. And I think she picks up on things very quickly. Ah, yes. And in a very, uh, primitive is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Visceral. Visceral, yeah, exactly. Visceral level. Yes. So I think when she comes in, you can do a lot of jokes around cosplay and things like that. I don't really want to go there. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a little bit funny, but I think she can pretty much figure out what's going on real quick. Right, right, uh, I right. think she'll find it really amusing. Like, people trying to cosplay, you know, on, um, you know, a sword and sorcery level. Yes, because yes. you can imagine, she's going to be like, these aren't real weapons. Yes. This is ridiculous. You I know? know. Yeah. Well, there's a, quite a bit of cosplay here at the show, actually. Uh, there's some, a, some quality cosplay. I'm yeah. Really impressed. Yeah. Um, Amy, how many shows a year do you do? Oh, my God. Um, I want to say this year probably, last year I did 15. Oh my God. This year I was going to scale back because, you know, it, it, it's, 
I try to work at shows too, and it's really hard to do work, and I'm trying to scale it back, but I'm also finding, you know, I'm getting more invitation to shows, which is nice, and I'm also getting a lot more interaction with fans that I actually really enjoy, because you get to hear people talk about why they like um, Red Sonia or why they like Poison right. Ivy, and that's important to me as a writer, you know, I get right. that kind of feedback. So next year, I really do want to scale back. <laughs> I'm going to really try to scale back. Um, it's a lot of work. It is. Uh, you know, you're also, I mean, you're a mother. Uh, oh, yeah. And your children are, are young. You have young children, right? Yeah, and boy, are they jaded. Yeah. They've they? been to so many conventions. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. What do they think of their mom going off to do cons? Do they want to come or are they? It depends. They want to know what's at the show. Um, you know, it's really funny. Now that they're getting a little older, I think they're more understanding that not all moms write comics. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is kind of cool. Ah. You know, depending on what character I'm doing. I think they're vastly unimpressed by me writing Red Sonja and Kiss. But, my God, if I ever got to write a Minecraft comic, boy, would they be all over that. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Right. I would say. What about... Um... Or Godzilla. If I ever got to do Godzilla. Oh, well. They would be excited. Well, there you go. This They're planting the seeds here of Godzilla. Yeah. Amy Chu on Godzilla. Right, um, right. Or Halo. They would be really excited. Hello. All right. Well, Dark Horse and IDW. Uh, Amy Chu is calling. <laughs> um, right there. Uh, yeah. Have you... Um, you, when I first met you, you were doing your own book, Girls' Night Out, right? And uh, But, you know, you've been working on other people's universes now, of, you right. know, DC. Well, those pay. Well, that is true. But, um, I mean, are you thinking of getting back to some creative work? I would work? really I mean, 2017, I really, really need to get back to some of my own stuff. Also, hence this idea of trying to spend less time at conventions so I can focus more on um, some of my uh, creator-owned projects. Back back to the Girls' Night Out series, right. doing more short stories, because I really feel like there's a vacuum mm -hmm. for short stories and publishing short stories. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're harder sell, but I, I just really enjoy that, and I think I want to try to at least... Um, it, it, you know what? It really enables me to work with more artists, and that's what right. I really like. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, but that was your... Your initial foray in the comics was this publishing this book, and uh, how did you find artists when you first started? Oh, I went to conventions. Yeah, I went around and I, um, you know, you, you stop by tables, you look for, um, you know, flipping through people's portfolios, talking to them, seeing if you know you're sympathetical about certain ideas and that kind of thing. Right. You know, right. Deviant art too. I went through Deviant art. Right, right. But for the most part, I try to meet people personally if I can. Because um, that way you also get a sense of, well, are they wackos? Are they, you know, uh, yeah. if they're dismissive, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's important to find somebody that you actually enjoy working with in the end. Yeah, well, that yeah, it's true. And unfortunately, some of the uh, biggest... Uh, well, some of the best artists might be more difficult too sometimes. So, yeah. but some um, of the best art, some of the nicest people as well. Yeah, so. exactly. And you know what? Things change. People get nicer or more or, or not less yeah, nice. Right, you know, right. depending on where their fortunes are in the industry. Exactly. Now, when you're also writing Kiss, as you mentioned, um, so what was your first thought when uh, they called up and said, uh, "Would you like to write Kiss?" What was your well, you, very first thought? No, you know what? When they, they when they called, when or really nowadays it's email. Yes, it's I, know, really I know. I know. Um, but uh, they gave me they they offered they offered a couple ideas. So I actually chose Kiss. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yes, so you I chose Kiss. I chose Kiss. They offered, which I'm grateful, yes. but I chose it because, you know, there are other options. Sure, sure, sure. And so that, what was it that made you say, I choose you? Oh, well, a number of things. A, you know, the challenge. Mm -hmm. Honestly, and I didn't think about me being the first woman to write Kiss in 40 years. I, I, it totally did not even occur to me. I was thinking more that 40 years of comics or Kiss, if I can do something that no one else has done before and people really like, right. you know, this is a challenge for me as a writer more than anything else. Kiss has a crazy fan base. It's an awesomely supportive fan base. And again, by now, 40 years, you could get jaded of all these comics. They do something special. Right. There's a challenge That's right true. there. Have you been meeting some Kiss fans? I have been meeting a lot of Kiss fans. <laughs> a lot. It's amazing. And uh, yeah, so yeah, what what is uh, uh, you know what's been their reaction? Well, so you far? know what? The first thing that I am completely had no idea, completely impressed with is this huge diversity of the fan base. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, just yesterday, a gentleman came up to me and he started telling me he immigrated from India when he was 16. His first Kiss con his first concert was a Kiss concert. Right. He went into great detail how that changed his life. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing that he's going to share that with me. And also, I had no idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He well, just, yeah. He just remembers Paul Stanley ziplining down. <laughs> and I'm like, that was so jealous because I never had yeah. that experience. Well, they are really larger than life. I mean, they are really responsible for. Uh, there, I mean, a lot of comic book imagery obviously went into Kiss, and Gene Simmons was a comics fan as a kid. Uh, I, I always say he's one of the very first weird celebrities because he was hanging out at Comic-Cons long before it was fashionable. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the story of the first Kiss comic was, but uh, I'd be very surprised if, you, you know, that part of uh, Gene Simmons' legacy didn't, didn't play into it a little bit. But, um, yeah, well, it's uh, interesting stuff. So what is the, so you have a regular ongoing series and a one-shot? What is the, just Oh, no, it's, um, it's a, it's an ongoing series, and then there is a, uh, a mini-series, so oh, okay. four issues of The Demon. Right, which is the Gene Simmons character, in case really, you don't know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and really, um, what it really honestly is, it's the backstory to the current. Okay. Will there be a Star Child mini-series? Well, you know what? It all depends on the fans, you ah. know? Um, I would like their, I, I would like to cycle through all, all the band members if we can. Yes. Um, but, you know, and it's all economics. If people are supporting the series and want it. Right. You know. If it does well, there will be more. There will definitely be more. Well, there you go. As we like to say here, there is always more to come. So, uh, Amy, thank you so much. And you, uh, good luck with uh, Kiss and Red Song. Thank you so much. Hi, welcome to More to Come. PW's podcast about comics, graphic novels, uh, world of conventions. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, well, I often have a chance to say that I'm sitting here with a legend, but really, this might be the greatest legend. I'm sitting here with Mr. Neil Adams. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> and he knows, yes, and he knows it. He's not even, he won't even deny it. And you know what? You know what? You know, <laughs> I, think, I think, personally, I think false humility is an overrated thing. I, I, I actually don't like it. When when you start saying, to, uh, giving somebody a compliment, they go, oh, I'm not that. And they kind of go, yes, you are. You just want me to say it again. I, yeah. you know, I think it's nice. And I think it's nice that people think that way. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about stuff. Yeah. Well, here you are. You're sitting, um, you know, you're signing your omnibus, your great Batman work. Uh, Which is, by the way, the last copy I have. Oh, wow. I got 400 copies, and this is the very last yeah. one. Well, you, let's talk about uh, just how many shows you do. You do a show just about every week, right? I do, I would say, I would say close to, it seems like it, but, you know, 
you have Thanksgiving, which I'm not going not, not to show. Then you have the Christmas season. Then you have certain weeks that are just not any good. So I would say about 33 shows wow. a year. Now, uh, and there are 52 weeks in a year. Right. So it's, you know, I don't know, three quarters, whatever, something like that. So obviously you like traveling. You no, like me. I, don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily like traveling, uh, but I've recently switched from doing advertising. To do back to doing comic books, uh, people don't quite realize that I've been missing in action, and I've just the last two three years I'm back. Uh, the problem is that uh, comics don't pay as well as advertising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can make uh, if I'm doing advertising, I can make about five times the amount of money for the same amount of time and the same amount of work. So for me to switch back to comics, which is an active decision that I made, I have to compensate by doing things like going to conventions. Ah, so at convention, you can concentrate and make a given amount of money for the weekend, and then you can get back to work on Monday and do your regular work and hope that eventually it will equal out and royalties will start to build up and then you can, and then you can make a similar amount to the advertising. But the advertising, there's a, the difference between comics and advertising for anybody who doesn't know and would like to know is that in in advertising they pay you a lot of money and then they flush your work down the toilet in comic books they pay you a lot less but they appreciate it more they collect it more they love it more and they tell you and that's pretty nice you, <laughs> you know, don't get that in advertising you know you just really summed up what it is that i think makes so many people love comics and uh like to stay in this industry um when you uh I mean, of course, you are known for your legendary run of Batman and, and you know, so much of the uh, other work that you've done over the years. But um, you were also, uh, back in the 70s, if we can go back so far, uh, I mean, you were very much involved in trying to get better better working conditions for comics creators. Well, I mean, the, the good thing is that is that I'm now uh, reaping the benefit of all that work back then. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't quite realize that back then... <laughs> Um, uh, artwork was not returned to the artists and very often it was destroyed uh, they don't realize that artists didn't get royalties for anything that they did and because they didn't get royalties they got page rate and when they when you get page rate and page rate is lousy which it was um, it's very hard to make a living it's certainly hard to get married and to raise kids buy a house do all those things that regular right. people do so pretty much you're in, you end up with uh, four guys in a west side apartment in New York uh, with bare floors and uh, just just getting by and hoping that fans will in some way augment their income so that they can do halfway decently. Well, that was not... That started because in the 1950s, uh, Congress attacked comic books. And because they attacked comic books, everybody said, you know, obviously they're, they, they make juvenile delinquents and Congress must be right. And... America turned its back on comic books. Yes. It was a bad time. And I came up through that time, and as a result of that time, when I tried to get into comic books, I was told that uh, in a year, comic books are going to be gone. <laughs> it's not. It's, and I was told that by everybody. Everybody. There wasn't a person who didn't say that. I don't have, uh, to, to, to make a cartoon out of it, I don't, there's nobody in this industry that is within five years my junior or five years my senior. Right. I don't have any compatriots. I don't have any contemporaries. They don't exist. 
there are some people that are similar age to me, but they did something else. Right. Like uh, Jim Steranko did magic, mm-hmm. and right. then he switched to comics. Uh, uh, Denny O'Neill was a reporter, mm-hmm. and then he switched to comics. I was in comics from the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that's my age. Did you it just go? Doesn't exist. Did you what? Did you go to art school? What art? There school? was an art high school oh. in New York. School of Industrial Art. It was called. It was yes. part of the old. Uh, 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 Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, works kind of vocational high school program and so it was an art high school I couldn't afford to go to college and I had to be professional from my point of view I had to be professional when I got out of, got out of high school so I was and it didn't matter right. there was no work right. I ended up doing Archie Comics uh, which is fine right. they paid me and then I did other things then I did advertising and I moved into other areas, comics for advertising. So I did comics only was for advertising, which paid more money. Right. So I survived through the worst of times, and and I don't have anybody that I can talk to about those times. They just don't. They just right. don't exist. Then right. as things got a little bit better, uh, and uh, I had a syndicated comic strip, and uh, when my syndicated comic strip ended because I didn't, I was no longer enjoying it. I had to spend some time doing comic books, and I found that I loved it. Really? So I came to comic book. It was Archie, all this other good stuff, then back into comic books, backsliding into comic books, where I came into an... I remember I had gone... I had done a syndicated strip. Mm -hmm. I had done advertising, where I got purchase orders and contracts and all the rest of this stuff. Then I backslid into comic books, where they didn't have contracts. They didn't have royalties. They had shitty rates. It was the, it was the worst possible business right. to be in, and I fell in love with the creative end of it, but the business end, terrible. Right. So I decided that I would change it from the outside. Now that's I've never heard you tell this story before. I mean, I have <clears throat> known about your activism in this, but that's really such an interesting way of putting it. That because I, I mean, you couldn't have been. Uh, you know, you were a kid, right? <laughs> in your twenties? You well, I, no, I was never a kid. I don't, I don't ever remember uh, being a kid. Right. But I mean, you were. I mean, what? How old were you when you were doing this? Eighteen. Like, Eighteen. Okay. But so, you have to remember, when I was thirteen, I became the man of the family. Yeah. I I uh, I painted walls. I fixed the air conditioners. I did that because my mother had rooming houses. So I became. Even a breadwinner in summer, I worked a full summer. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to go to this art school and learn, earned extra money when I could. But I knew that when I got out of high school, I had to get some kind of job. And I didn't want to get a regular job. I wanted to do art. So the focus of getting my work up to a professional level at 18 years old was not like 20 years before when guys could just draw like a... Uh, 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 Bob Kane. <laughs> yeah, if right. You'll excuse the expression. <laughs> oh well, he's uh, no longer here to, right. so, to tell lies about himself. Right. So. <laughs> so, so the idea, if I, if I could just draw just that well, I would never get work. <clears throat> right. I had to come out professional, right. and so I did. So at 18 years old, I just it was just my 18th birthday when I got out of high school. I was I was a professional. Everybody th- assumed I was 23 years old. What? But the, um, I guess what I'm getting at too is like there were a lot of people who had been in the comics industry for a while, and and, you they, know, were, and they were sad about it, and they knew they wouldn't have work next year. Right, right. But they but, knew it. In fact, they couldn't understand why I was walking around with a big grin on my well, face all the time. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you must have had a lot of disbelief about you know trying to trying to or you know just trying to make things better, like you know being an activist for this industry. When you I, when you do that. 
the first thing that you learn is nobody else is there. I mean, the idea of, of having people uh, support you, not there. Every, nobody, everybody was afraid for their job. I mean, right. people people were afraid they would be fired or uh, they would be replaced by a Filipino or, <laughs> or, or somebody from an odd country or some weird place. They were terrified. I was not terrified. I did. I still did advertising, and I got paid better doing advertising. I got paid for a page of work, fifty dollars a page. Mm-hmm. Superman versus Muhammad Ali, that book, fifty dollars a page. All right. And okay. I must confess, huge fangirl for that book. Right. One of my all-time favorite comics. And maybe so the best you. comic book ever done. Maybe, <laughs> for all I know. He I does mean, not it, believe in false humility. Well, no, I mean, you can you can check it out. I mean, <laughs> Pretty, it's pretty damn it is, comic It book. is good. It is and, good. And for all kinds of reasons, many, even more significant reasons that it sold a ton load of copies all over the world, in every free country of the world, people began to believe that America was actually becoming equal. Mm-hmm. It was not true, but they began to believe that we were making yeah. the first gentle steps into that well, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, gentle steps. And, and Ali was equal to Superman in that book, and I made sure that that was the case. Anyway... Um, to do to do that and to understand what I was doing as an artist did not change the fact that everybody was terrified. Everybody was terrified. So the so the battles that I had were singular battles. I even we had an academy and everybody was afraid to stand up for anything in the academy. So my battles were behind closed doors with DC Comics and, and Marvel Comics lawyers mm-hmm. and publishers. Were you? You were also involved, weren't you, in uh, trying to get Siegel and Schuster uh, credit? We didn't try. I succeeded. And I got the help of some people, but I did it essentially by myself, and the, I got the support of the people in my studio. But it was a, that was a goal that would not have ended until we succeeded. Was there, were there people who, are, I mean, I hear you talking about people who say, you know, you were scared, or were scared, they were scared for their own jobs. Were there people who really just thought this was a waste of time, too, you know, trying to get? Or was there a huge, like, groundswell of support? Or? I would I would present to a fellow artists in, in the Academy. There's certain stories I can't tell, but I would present uh, a point of view in the Academy of getting artwork returned. And there would be artists who would say to me, why do you want to get them? They have no value. Mm. And I would have to say, it's not whether they have a value or not. We can have that argument another day. It's the principle of the thing. The principle of the thing is you own that artwork. It belongs to you according to the copyright law, according to the sales tax law. It's yours. You cannot take any backwater on that. It just is yours. Whether you are able to sell it or make money on it, that's another issue. And that's an issue. You can throw it out yourself if you want. But it's supposed to come back to you. And that's what we're talking about. I'm not arguing something that is esoteric and is my opinion. It has nothing to do with my opinion. I research this stuff. I know the facts. The facts are, one, you are working on books and you should be getting royalties. These are advances on royalties. They're not page rates. No, we're not working on books. We're working on magazines. No, you're not working on magazines. If you're working on magazines, I can send you to NYU. (laughs) I can pay your tuition and they will tell you what a magazine is. A magazine is a vehicle for advertising. That's all it is. These are books. They may only be 20 to 32 pages long, but they are books, just like any other book that you would buy. They're sold based on how many copies they sell, not on whatever advertising goes into them. So, no, the publishers and you, my fellow artists, are wrong. 
you can say it. It's fine. It's okay to have words come out of your mouth. <laughs> but if they have no meaning, then it doesn't matter what you say. You are incorrect. These are books, and you should be getting royalties. So you should be getting advances on royalties, and then you should be getting royalties. And that's only going to happen when the companies realize what your value is. And that's what I had to prove to the companies, and I did. Yeah. Well, flash forward to today. Yeah. Uh, now that you're back making comics. Yeah, I suddenly mean, I'm getting royalties. <laughs> yes. I need and I get my originals back. Well, I that. mean, did you uh, foresee that comics would become uh, as kind of central to our culture as no. they are now? What I saw was that its significance for me was you have to you have to believe in something being right for the sake of it being right, not for your ability to predict the future. The future is the future, and you can't know what it's going to be, and you can't predict it. But what you can do is you can know what's right, right. and that's what you fight for. Because you can't say, I'm fighting for the future. That's, a, that's too esoteric and too kind of like, yeah. oh, pie in the sky, nobody's going to believe that. No, I'm fighting for what is correct now, what is ethical now, what is the right thing to do now, and how it went wrong. And it went wrong because we allowed, in this industry, a country to turn against comic books. But if it, had, if it had gone forward in a proper way, we'd be like Japan or like Europe. We would be making money from our work in a proper, in our proper yeah. way. Well, I think we, I think we caught up. You know, I yes. think now we've definitely caught I think up we're to catch, and, I think we're catching yes. up. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we're, in some ways, we're moving ahead. I think, I'm, I think Japan. I think the French have, guys are kind of catching on that maybe these guys in the uh, little superhero outfits aren't so bad. They definitely are. I don't know. Have you ever been to, uh, well, you must have been to French, French shows, right? Yeah. Have you been to Angoulême? I haven't been to England, uh, but yeah, I've been to uh, France and been to Paris. Yeah, so they, uh, they, they love their American comics there. So, they do. So, they just yeah. make fun of us. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, well, it's been quite a journey. So, so tell, tell us, what, I know uh, we have a, just a couple more minutes here, but what are you working on right now? What are you doing? What are you working on? Uh, I just finished a uh, Harley uh, Harley Superman takeoff of uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. <laughs> okay. Done as a lark. I know it's a little sacrilegious, yeah. but there you go. I also did a, a Harley Christmas story. The, uh, the story was originally The Silent Night of the Batman. It was an eight-page story. So with Paul Dini, I did an eight-page uh, Not-So-Silent Night of the Harlequin. So I finished that. But now I'm going to be doing uh, 12 issues of Dead Man. Ah, a story that was not finished. Oh, very nice. And yes, I am going to do that story. Is there anything uh, returning to Dead Man after so many years? Uh, what's your first first well, thought? Well, since about I it? didn't get to finish it, and everybody right. else has taken it and done superhero stories with it, I'm taking it back to the story of Dead Man. Right, right. Which well, is what it always was about. Wow. Well, that sounds very exciting. Well, I, for one, will be looking to pick that up when it comes out. Okay. And uh, I thank you for, I mean, we could, look, I could sit here and talk to this man for an hour easily. All right. So maybe someday. We'll There's have, a whole bunch that we haven't talked about. I know. We haven't oh. talked about the coming of the I Superman, the Jack Kirby stuff. No. no. All right. So this, this is a brief prelude. Someday we're going to do the full on Neil Adams podcast. Uh, but sir, thank you so much for your time pleasure. today. It's a thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome to More to Come. Heidi McDonald here, still at New Jersey Comic Expo. Um, today, or right now, I'm talking to Ron Mars, a writer, editor, man about town. Now, Ron, you live an idyllic life uh, on a horse farm when you're not writing comics. Is that correct? 
Um, I don't. I don't know that I've heard it described that way before, but sure, sure, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, you you uh, your Twitter feed is full of uh, Mets uh, commiserations, which is something I share, and then you know birthings of foals. And uh, coffee and the occasional comics. And the occasional comic book. Uh, yeah, it's we we have um, we have five horses and we just had a foal last year. So this, you know, mostly it's my wife's deal because my wife's had horses since she was fourteen. Um, and I generally tell people that I I pay for what goes in the front and I clean up what comes out the back, <laughs> and everything in between is her deal. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, do you ride? No, not if I can help it. Right. But. Um, I have written, but it's really you know uh, the list of the list of free time activities I have. Yeah. Uh, you know, like anybody else in comics, I don't have free time. Mm-hmm. So the list that I that I work through to get down to horseback riding is really long. Right. So we never we never quite get there. Well, okay, Ron, why are you so busy right now? Now I'm with you here at the show uh, at the ominous press booth, the ominous booth, which sounds troubling. Um, but it's not as ominous. It's actually quite well lit. Really, nothing suspicious here. So, uh, can you tell us what is ominous? What is ominous about ominous? Uh, ominous Press is the rebirth of the original Ominous Press that was around in the 90s, uh, which was the publishing company that Bart Sears founded. Um, and it was around for a couple of years in the 90s. And then when the market tanked in the mid-90s and took all the small publishers with it, uh, Ominous Press was one of the casualties. Um, so Bart has been one of my best friends for more than 20 years. Uh, and we got together last year in Baltimore at the convention. Uh, myself, Bart, uh, Andy Smith, who was the art director at Ominous then and now, uh, and our friend Sean Husfar, who was part of Ominous back then and was, was wise enough to get out of comics and go, uh, have a successful career in a lot of other ventures. Um... (laughs) Sean hopped the plane uh, Sunday morning from Buffalo to come visit us in Baltimore. And, you know, by the end of the day, we had decided to maybe make this adventure again. Uh, so it's the four of us plus uh, uh, plus guys like uh, Tom Ranney drawing a book for us, uh, Niraj Menon and Nanjan Jamberry coloring stuff for us. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a small but hearty band of right. brothers uh, making comics. Very, uh, uh, you know, a uh, very well high level. I mean, obviously you have Bart Sears involved, so it looks great, fantastic. Um, you know, isn't that funny though? It's people. What people come to the show to say hi, have a cup of coffee, and then they they want to participate in comics. That well, happens is, a lot, doesn't this it? This is a hugely social business, and ultimately, it's a, it's a very small business, right? For the most part, everybody knows everybody, or at least knows somebody that knows mm-hmm. somebody. Um, I always tell people that it's it's not um, it's not who you know in this business, but there's a certain aspect of it's who you've met, uh, and conventions are obviously the place where everybody meets. Uh, this right. is a it's a fairly solitary uh, career for most of us, so we go from sitting in a room by ourselves most of the time Mm -hmm. to being in the midst of a convention center with thousands of people um business gets conducted at the shows and you know at at dinner and in the restaurants and bars afterwards um that's how a lot of stuff gets done and and this you know ominous was not a plan ominous wasn't something that we we you know we put back together it was just that that was the first time that bart andy sean and i had been in a room together since Andy's wedding 
20 years ago. Right. Okay. So it really was it. Let's get the band back so together. So it was. It was. It was. A, it was a. You know. It was a reunion just from guys who hadn't seen each other in a while. And literally by the end of the day, we had sort of decided, mm-hmm. well, let's let's make a go with this. Right. No. So you were involved in the original Ominous. You and, I, I was oh. I, I I was buddies with those guys, and I was slated to start doing some of the writing mm-hmm. um, past the initial projects that they were doing, um, but. The market tanked, and the and the uh, the ominous of that era went away before I could actually dig into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is kind of the longest job interview I've ever had. <laughs> well, I'm looking. You have some banners here. It does appear to be a superhero line. You have demigod, giant killers, and Prometheus. Are these superheroes or? Um, they're not really superheroes. Uh, they're certainly heroes, um, but it's more science fiction fantasy oriented. Um, it's a lot of the concepts are are drawn from the kind of stuff that we read as you know at that magic age of twelve when right. everything is wondrous and wonderful. Um, so, so the root of a lot of this stuff is Conan and uh, Tolkien and Michael Moorcock and Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, plus overt science fiction stuff like Star Wars and uh, you know, Robert A. Heinlein novels and Dune. So. Um, they're not really superhero stories, but they are heroic stories. Right, right. Um, and each one is has a little bit of a different flavor. Um, it's a, it's a it's a universe of stories, but the books all act independently. Um, Bart Sears is writing and drawing Giant Killers, and I'm editing that one. Uh, I'm writing Prometheus, and Tom Randy's drawing it. Uh, and I think Tom's doing the work of his career on this stuff. It's just right up his alley. Um, and I'm writing, and Andy Smith is drawing Demigod, which is probably the closest we get to a superhero book. He does seem to be wearing a little bit of a superhero. He's, he's yeah. you know, he's what happens if, you know, like the, the, the Spider-Man thing of, of great power and great responsibility going together, he's kind of the douchebag that didn't get the great responsibility right, part. Right, um, right, right. And so obviously, obviously it's, a, it's a hero's journey, but he starts off really not heroic. Maybe it's a douchebag's journey. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a douchebag's journey to heroism. Yes, yes. Um, and, and that'll be the book that is that's actually the most unlike anything that I've ever written before because we're going to do some fourth wall breaking. We're going to you know, we're, it, there's, there's going to be more overt comedy in it. Um, it's It's got a little bit of a dead, sort of Deadpool meets Thor vibe. Alright, okay. Well, looks... We're gonna check it out. We're gonna check it out. When 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 is this slated to come out? Any schedule or? We've got the first few books out now, which are actually reprints of the original ominous stuff, mm-hmm. with new framing material by Tom Rainey and myself. Uh, the fourth issue of the legendary uh, series is actually all new. That it's a story that ties off all the stories that have been printed twenty years ago. Uh, but the real launch of the line is mid next year mm-hmm. and. We're partnering with another publisher uh, that we're going to work with to put the books out. We can't say who the publisher is because the ink isn't quite right. dry gotcha. on the contract gotcha. yet. Um, but that should be announced within the next month or so. Wow, they're starting to take down these posters, so our, our, our talk, chat was well-timed. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, 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 well, we're, we're towards the end of the day on Sunday, yes. and it's everybody's starting, start, starting to get anxious to get out of here. Yes. And those guys all have to catch planes. Right. So, so 
you know, everybody starts to look at the door and wonder, you know, who's going to get the first well, truck loading. Well, uh, yeah, I, 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 we, I, this might be my last interview at this show. Uh, confession. Um, Ron, Ron, you're also working, um, with, I, I believe we talked to him before on the podcast, uh, but I'm going to mispronounce his name, so you're going to say it, the protectors with... Uh, Israel Adonijay. Israel Adonijay, a former NFL player uh, and a comics enthusiast. And this is a book that has a really strong message, actually, about, like, um, you know, heroism and, you know, inspiring people, right? Or, that's that's straight-up superheroics. Yeah. Um, working on that with, with Izzy, who is, who is a superhero in real life, uh, uh, has been great, and it allowed me to kind of get back in touch with... Uh, the superhero books I read as a kid, you know, um, John Byrne, Chris Claremont X-Men, and uh, Byrne and Perez Avengers. We wanted to bring that sort of uh, feel to the books. Mm -hmm. So we did um, we did five issues uh, and put out a trade paperback that's actually available on Amazon now that, that Bart Sears actually drew. Mm -hmm. And now we're digging in on the second uh, story arc, which we're probably just going to go straight to trade on because... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Izzy's publishing company, which is Athleta. Uh, Athleta Comics, um, and that's Athleta.com. If you want to go mm -hmm. check it out, plug, plug, plug. Um, you know, he made the decision that, well, you know, I like the way this reads more as one big story. Mm -hmm. Let's just tell one big story the next time, right. rather than uh, rather than cutting it up into issues. So, right. um, sort of doing this kind of project with somebody who's self-funding it. You can make those decisions. Right. You're not you're not a prisoner to the marketplace, um, and just like ominous, that's that's a situation that's kind of like putting a play on in the backyard with your friends, and you know, dad makes the sets and mom makes the costume. It's very, uh, it's a very um, bootstrap kind of thing where you're, where you're working with your friends and there's nobody looking over your shoulder to tell you what to do. That's one of the beauties of comics is that you can pull together four or five people and do the thing yourself and make it uh, make it exactly like you right. want to make it. What is the project that's that's what's the project you're working on or have worked on recently that was most important to you? Most important to me, you know, I don't, I don't know. I never, I, I honestly, this is this sounds like a bullshit answer, but it's not. As I never really look back. Mm. Um, I just kind of look at what the next one is. Um, I think always the. The most important stuff is to create your own stuff. So, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm a part of Ominous, so that's really creator own material. Um, but the creator own stuff that I've done in the past, like Shinku at Image and Samurai Heaven and Earth at Dark Horse, um, still hold a, a near and dear place in my heart because they're like your kids. They they didn't exist before you got there, and and in the case of both of those books they turned out exactly like I wanted them to um, because there's nobody else to, there's nobody to tell you no right. there's nobody to tell you that you have to have a crossover with Supergirl this month or that you know there's a there's an, a spider event running through the, all the books and so you have to put what you're doing on hold right um, yeah. it's not to say that you know that's a bad way to make a living either I've certainly done plenty of that and will continue to do it but it's just it's a different flavor of, of what right. we do what are some of the what was the first comic you wrote for like Marvel and DC Marvel or DC uh, Silver Surfer Annual Number Three was the first comic I ever wrote. Period. Yeah. Um, wow. So who's yeah. the artist on it? Uh, Ron Lim. Oh, Ron, Ron, Ron and Ron. Yeah. Ron Lim saved my ass. Yeah. Uh, and also, obviously, it was you know I was new to comics. It was literally the first script I'd ever written. Mm -hmm. um, and working with somebody who was that kind of pro and that kind of professional, with with Jim Starlin, obviously, sort of looking over my shoulder and making sure I didn't screw the pooch on the thing. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was that was really important to be working with an artist who 
uh, had my back and would fix any mistakes that I made. Um, looking back at it now, I realize how instrumental that was in helping me learn how to tell a story visually. Right. That I was working with guys who were complete professionals at it, um, and I learned from them. Uh, and the learning curve was was very fast. Well, we were on a panel yesterday, Ron and I, on with. Um Matt Hawkins and Mega Sloan on editing and comics and we talked a lot about people management skills uh, being like you know like you have to be able to it's a very comp editing comics is a super complicated job and I think there's really only a handful of people who have ever really been great at it but um but it is, I mean, like, whoever was the editor, I mean, that's certainly one of the things, you know, like, you're a new writer, so they don't put you on a book with a brand new artist, and, you know, like, like let them fail together, it's let them, it was more like, well, you yeah, know. Yeah, it was, it was, and certainly, you know, Jim Sarlin was the Svengali over this whole thing, but, the, and I, so I co-wrote the lead feature in that annual with Jim, and that was my, okay, that was my break-in right, right. stuff. Um, so I was backstop there and could right, see right, right, right. where he, I basically wrote it, but then he went in and kind of tweaked sure, stuff sure, and sure. made sure it was what yeah, it was so supposed to be. An ideal situation, um, in other words. And then the, the backup in the annual was supposed to be written and drawn by Jim Sherman of, you know, Legion of Superheroes in the 70s fame, uh, you know, a guy who had been in the industry for a while. But, but Jim Sherman disappeared in the Yucatan for a number of months and nobody knew where to find him and he didn't turn the gig in. So... So, as the deadline approached, they came to me and said, "Hey, you want to write this? Run them, draw it. We need, we need to fill twenty pages." Uh, and I went, "Sure." And you know, thank God, Jim Sherman was you know was literally lost in the jungle. What happened to him? Um, he was just you know he was hanging out down there, and, and eventually, I, I actually, you know, Sherman was a friend of Starlin's, and I actually ended up going to visit uh, Starlin and Sherman in the Yucatan, you know, and going through the jungles for, for, for two or three weeks. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, just very... Again, that's how stuff gets done in comics. Yeah, like, I, like, this dude disappears amongst the Mayan ruins, so I get a job to... You know, I get a chance to show off my, what I can do solo. The story goes well. And great, now let's to, all to, go smoke peyote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to great extent, the story went well because Ron Lim drew it, and, and then they were, you know, when it came out, was well received and you know I honestly haven't wanted for work a day since um, I realize how alarmingly fortunate that makes me but um, it's that's not a completely unique story in that it's just stuff falls into place yeah well I guess that answers the question I asked earlier it's like why do people like people are just drawn to comics they want to have you know even like Izzy that you're talking to you know this is a guy who's uh, uh, you know on the NFL you know played football he was a big comics fan and you know he wants to be involved in it and and you know it's it's the next stage for him obviously since he's retired on the field but people just want to be part of this crazy world it's, well, it's, it amazes me it's, it's i want to be part of it it's the love of it i yeah. mean and again it's like it's uh, to, i think to a great extent it's 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 the stuff that that bites you at the right age that you never get over right um you know, last last weekend I went to the Norman Rockwell Museum in Western Mass to see the Hanna Barbera opening, and I'm you know I'm just was in awe of looking at this this Doug Wildey Johnny Quest character design. Yeah, yeah. And I know that that stuff hit me at the right age, and it's like if you sat me down in front of a TV and said, "What do you want to watch? Anything in the world?" It would be an original Johnny Quest episode, right? Because it's you know. It was what was most important to me in my life at that time, and, and that sort of stuff never goes away. And that's why we're in this building. That's right. how, this building is filled with people who 
have that feeling about comics, whatever age it, it got to them. But I think generally in those impressionable years right. where where um, those sorts of things are the biggest things in the world. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, you're replicating the, the stuff from your own, you know, youthful reading. But obviously, I think, um, you know, the Marvel comics of the era that you're talking about, I mean, obviously, they have influenced the whole generation also. I mean, certainly, you know, Jim Starlin really is the unsung, well, he is the son hero. I'm not going to pronounce, you know, of the whole MCU because he was the guy who came up with the Infinity Gauntlet. And these Infinity Stones that Kevin Feige is obsessed with, you know. and Oh, sure. And you can see it, like, the guys who were reading the books at that at, at that age, at that time, are now in positions to get stuff like that done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had no idea when I when I was... When I took over Silver Server from Jim, that was my first monthly gig, my first nine issues were Infinity Gauntlet tie-ins. Mm-hmm. And look, I was just thrilled to have a job in comics... Uh, that they would actually pay me for. Um, but again, I, I had no idea how important that was for me to be doing those issues and trying to find my way around sort of threading in and out of the Infinity Gauntlet stories. Um, that, I, I, again, I didn't realize at the time, but that's a hugely important skill if you're going to work in those universes where you have to do crossovers and play with other people's toys. Um, like the, my first year on the job, that's all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I, you know, I, I learned those lessons and and, and took them with me. Um, yeah, everything you know, you, you look back on it now, and everything sort of lines up and <laughs> seemed to have happened for a reason. Right. But at the time, you're just like, oh, I guess I, you know, I guess I'm going to write, you know, like the fourth issue in a row with a guest mm-hmm. appearance by Thanos. <laughs> uh, and, and now, you know, and now, 25 years later. I'm still getting royalties on that stuff because it's all getting reprinted. Ah, well, no, it's 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 wonderful that um, you know it has this this heritage. Well, Ron, there's a lot more to come. As with most of our guests, we could talk for a whole hour, uh, you know, with more stories. Uh, so, uh, but at some point, maybe we'll do a one-on-one full-length episode with Ron. Uh, but and you hinted that you have secret projects that you can't talk about that are coming out next year. So I assume, there's, yeah, there's stuff. There's yeah. stuff happening, and you know, everybody's always got. Everybody's everybody has a plate in comics, and and like half of your plate you can talk about, and half of it you can't. Right. So when most, I can talk about it, let's do that. But most important question of all: if the Mets don't re-sign Cespedes, is there any hope? <laughs> uh, you had to you had to end it on a doubt. I mean, it's, that's that's what all of my Mets friends and I talk about. Mike Sigliano, who works for this show, you know, like our show, our our emails back and forth about this show always start with. Well, you know what? Bartolo Colon got away, mm-hmm. but maybe we can use that twelve million dollars a year to resign Cespedes. Yes. Um, so I, I, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear cries of poverty. I don't want to hear we've got too many. Uh, we've got too many outfielders as it is. That's the guy who makes the team work. You got to pay him whatever you, whatever it takes to get him back in the right. uniform. Well, you know, there's a lot of questions about the future, but we can all put some hope. You know, I'm putting all my hope. Cespedes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to need the distraction of yeah. Cespedes for the next four years. Yes, so. yes. And we have little things that are more entertaining. Well, Ron, thank you so much uh, again. And uh, thanks again. No problem, Eddie.